Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Commitment Matters. This conversation focuses on a few things you do know and some things you might not know about industry leader Rhino. Matt Reese is my guest, and while nearly everyone knows that Rhino is pretty much synonymous with best practices when it comes to positive pay and automated reconciliation, there are also some other services of theirs that you might not be aware of, like a better way to handle escrow funds that are subject to a sheetment, handling post-dated checks, or providing you text messages when your wires come in or go out of your trust account. Also, you might not have thought of them as an especially valuable resource during a crisis, but Matt walks us through how Rhino was able to speed help agents who were impacted by the recent ransomware attack. Sounds interesting, right? Oh, and one more thing you might not know. If you stay tuned to the end, you can learn why the company has the name of Rhino. And, well, I think you'll like the reason. If you don't know Matt, he's a good guy to have in your corner. In addition to being an executive leader at Rhino, he's also earned the designation of National Title Professional from Alta. He's a licensed underwriter, and he also serves on Alta's Government Affairs Committee and Membership Committee. As you can guess, he's a title guy at heart, having worked in a Virginia-based agency for 13 years before coming to his position at Rhino. Suffice to say, he gets it. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Matt as you get more in the know about Rhino. Matt Reese, welcome to Commitment Matters. Thanks for being with us. It's my pleasure. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, you know, you know, I'm a big fan of your product and your services. And I want to kind of start by talking, you know, Rhino Live has become kind of synonymous with automated positive pay and automated reconciliation. I think most people are familiar with that. There may be a couple out there that aren't. So I want to talk about that. But first, I have a different and very important question to ask you because I'm also a big fan of the canines of Rhino. How did you decide to include them in your website and some of your marketing and make them part of your work family? We're cutting to the quick early, aren't we? This is my most important question for you. I love it. It really started, I think, with our director of operations, Stephanie Davis. She's got this lovable poodle mix, Milo. She would bring him into the office every so often. And then as that started to transpire, you know, it came out that more and more people within the organization have dogs. Our president, Mary Gomez, she's got two German shepherds and she brings them in. She brought them both of them in a couple of days ago. And is Finn one of hers? Finn is, yeah, Finn. He's a handsome boy. Oh, he 100-pound German Shepherd, all lap dog. Yeah. I mean, like, he looks scary and intimidating, but he is the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Big sweetie. And we've got a uh, Aussie poo. So on the website, Rex is mine. Mm-hmm. When my girlfriend and I picked him up, I was promised that he was going to be 35 pounds. He's now 57 pounds. <laughs> but we are very much a dog-friendly organization. We, in fact, have a dog calendar in our Microsoft Outlook calendars. There's a separate so that you can sign up for a particular day of the week, day of the month that you're going to bring your dog. You know, And we do that to reserve one dog a day. We're not trying to run a kennel here. <laughs> Listen, dog therapy is a real thing. Oh, it is. Makes for a good workplace. It really does. I brought Rex in last Wednesday or Thursday, and he just He curls up right by my feet and just takes a nap and it forces me to get up, get out of my chair two, three times a day to go for a walk because otherwise I'd be stuck here sitting at this desk looking at these emails all day. 
Yeah, exactly right. Well, I just needed you to know that I'm a big fan of your canine staff. And listen, if one or all of them wanted to have a Twitter account, I would follow for sure. That's fantastic. (laughs) All right. Well, back to the other topic at hand. So you guys, I feel like are best known for your positive pay and your automated reconciliation. For those that don't know the history or those that aren't familiar with that group of services, what was the problem in the marketplace that you guys just set out to solve and how have you solved it? One of the things I'm going to talk about is getting involved with your industry, both at a national and a state level. And it kind of lends itself to how Rhino got started. So for those that don't know, my father, Dick Reese, actually started Rhino. And it is the true epitome of the American entrepreneurial story. I mean, it was born out of necessity. He saw a problem. He innovated to fix our own internal problems. But it really goes back to 2003. 18 years ago, Dick was at an Alta National Conference and the keynote speaker was Frank Abagnale. Mm-hmm. And if those listening in are not familiar with Frank Abagnale, go watch the movie Catch Me If You Can. Right. Featuring you know Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks, and it's a true story. DiCaprio plays Frank Abagnale and he was running around the country in I think the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, committing check fraud, kiting checks, washing checks outrunning the Federal Reserve, and ultimately the federal agents, played by Tom Hanks and his crew, caught him, incarcerated him. He did his time. Now he's off working for the good guys, talking about white hat hacking. So in 2003, Abagnale, the real Abagnale, is the keynote speaker. My father, amongst many other Alta folks, are sitting in the back. And Abagnale is imploring the critical importance of this solution known as positive pay. And surprisingly, there are still people that don't know what positive pay is. Mm-hmm. It's a tool that banks offer to mitigate thwart the potential threats of check fraud. We didn't know what it was. My father had never heard of it. He comes back from that conference, like Moses coming down from the mountain. He's like, I'm a touched man. Oh my gosh, I need this thing called the positive pay. I need the positive pays. <laughs> I might have added a little color to that. <laughs> so he goes and talks to his bank about you know utilizing the service of positive pay. Our bank at the time did not offer it. They looked into it. They did not have an appetite to incur the cost to deploy it. So my father pulled our accounts and set it to a different bank, a regional bank, now a national bank that did offer it, but it didn't integrate with our production software. It was going to be a manual process of creating those check exception files from our software and manually submitting them to and through the bank. And it's so glaringly apparent now let alone 18 years ago, everybody is too busy. Everybody has far too much on their plates. Oh, that's not new now? Right. I don't have time to think about anything. I'm trying to get these deals to the table. I'm trying to put these fires out. And it was the same back then 18 years ago. Nothing has changed. The status quo is, it is what it is. Hair on fire is the status quo. Yeah. It always is. Yep. You're putting out the fire burning brightest, then you move on to the next fire and then the next fire. The long story short is, you know, how could we count on our team to remember to upload those check exception files to the bank every day amongst all the other things that we're expecting them to do? And if one of those files doesn't get to the bank and the bank doesn't have record of it on the back end, now they're going to flag all of those checks as exceptions And you're going to get false positives and checks start bouncing when they're legitimate checks. And it was just going to be a hornet's nest. So he's like, we need to automate that process. I can't force or rely on my team to remember to do that. So we hired a couple of developers to write some code to automate 
creating those check files from the software and submitting to the bank. So that's really the first thing we ever developed, which was 17, 18 years ago. Now, fast forward almost 12 months, 15 months later in 2004, when we were still manually, monthly reconciling our escrow accounts, just as a lot of people are still doing. Had a conversation with an agent today. Yeah, we still manual monthly. Great. Okay. I think we have something that we can help you. So we had a lady on our team that was responsible for that. Only then at the first week of the following month when we got our bank statements, and that's what a lot of people rely on. They wait to get their bank statements to reconcile their accounts, to clean up the previous four to five weeks. And only then are you finding the issues at hand. So this is really where the entrepreneurial spirit comes into play and out of necessity. So in December of 2004, it was the first week we had just gotten our bank statements for November to reconcile. I think at the time we had three or four escrow accounts. So it took the lady on staff a few days. I mean, it was an arduous process. We were doing two to 300 closings a month at that time between four accounts. So it took her a couple of days to get things cleaned up. So here it's now December 6th or 7th. She brings the reports to my father, Mr. Reese. You know, there are these little 10 and $20 checks that are always outstanding that I can't keep my arms around. There's this check that we had issued November 2nd, and here it is, December 6th or 7th, so it's five weeks out. We had issued it November 2nd. It was due November 5th. And it was made payable to the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS. They don't play nice. Mm-mm. So when we finally called them and got through to them, they basically gave us the flippant response. If we didn't cash your check, we didn't get the check. Void payment reissue, which we did. They got the replacement check the next week. What they failed to tell us was, oh, by the way, Remember how you missed that original due date of November 5th? Long story short, and there was a lot of things that went on behind the scenes. It cost our agency, my family, over $30,000. Oh, ouch. Can any agency that's listening to this call afford to incur that kind of a cost over one check? Afford that? No. No. We were already automating the positive pay uploads. We were going, you know, book to bank, as they say. So we were talking about let's reverse engineer the process. Now let's take the bank feed and run it back down to the book. So we have a circle. We have a loop. We have a cycle. So all the transactions that are clearing our account every single day, how can we compare that against what's going on in our software? Bank to book, bank to book, bank to book. And if we see something clearing the bank that we can find in the book, let's clear it. It's intention to reality and back, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, officially, we tell people we've been around since 2007, so 14 years now. That's when we had our first national unveiling. I want to say it was at an NS3, I think it was, in Vegas. I remember going to that with him. I was still, you know, my family, we had that title company, as I mentioned, and I stayed back. So in 2007, he was trying to run the agency and get Rhino off the ground. You can't really chase two rabbits So he'll tell you, we fired him. (laughs) But the reality is my mom and I sat him down. I was like, dad, you got to You got to pick a horse here. Which one do you want? Yeah. And we realized there was truly something special with Rhino. So go focus on that. Go make that special. I'll stay back. I'll run the agency. Now, if you recall anybody, you know, listening to the podcast that's been in this industry for 15, 20, 25 years, 07 was a terrible time. I mean, I was like, I should have picked Rhino. Thanks, mom. Yeah, like, boom. And I know your mother a little bit. She is a lovely and wise woman. But yeah, she hated you the raw deal inadvertently on that. I got the short end of that stick. Yeah, we went from two to 300 closings down and 30, 35 employees. 
At one point, we were down to two employees, me and a processor. We were happy to be doing 10, 15 closings a month. I was working 70 to 80 hours a week just to keep the lights on, uh, the doors open. But our little agency was the science lab. And Dick, pardon the expression, if he ever listens to this, he'll kill me. But he was the mad scientist and he needed his lab to poke and prod and make adjustments and improvements and enhancements. And so the automation of reconciliation and the positive pay upload for a group that is using a bank that does offer positive pay, great. We can automate those uploads. For those that don't, we have a tool. I jokingly call it positive pay light or diet positive pay. We can't stop the train from leaving the station. We can't render fraudulent activity, can't put the brakes on it, but at least having the daily reporting and the automation to alert you, hey, we see something clearing the bank. There's a check. There's a transaction clearing your bank that we cannot find in your software, that we can't find in RamQuest or any other production software. You need to know about it and you need to take proactive action on it. You can't afford to go a month, a week, 72 hours. I mean, this is not a personal checking account. This is not your own checking account. This is a business escrow account. The rules are different. You're lucky now if you have 24 hours to rectify a situation. Right. And so practically, is that what your customer's audit staff is doing now? They're looking at yesterday's presentments and clearings and exceptions for five, 10 minutes each morning and handling any issues at that time? Or what does it look like when everything's up and functional? And how does that going from once a month taking several days change practically? That's a great question, Mary. So a lot of it is software automation. By connecting straight to the source, by getting the data straight from the bank feed, and we connect our piece of software, an adapter, a service manager into their environment, into RamQuest for that matter, and Rhino becomes the bridge. We become the tunnel that communicates to both sides. So every morning, you know, Rhino is a software. So like I usually say, well, Rhino wakes up in the morning. No, it doesn't really. It's always running, but it wakes up the next morning. It pulls all the credits and debits from the bank that cleared the Federal Reserve last night. We look back at what's in the software, what we can see, what we can find, you know, we'll match up and what we cannot find, we flag and our clients get a proactive automated daily report, which we call the morning report. And it's a summary. It's a highlight. What I like to call it's a honeydew list. Here are the issues that we've identified today that did not square up from last night. Remember that wire you said you were going to send or your team was going to send yesterday and it didn't go out or went out for the wrong amount? Or that payoff check that you issued three days ago when it's still outstanding, or as I shared with you, the IRS incident, my family, those things, when I talk about Rhino, I use the three words, proactive, automated, and daily. I mean, you can't go a week, a month. And even on that payoff example where you talk about, because people think about fraud and I want to talk about all that more. Sure. But honestly, just knowing that the payoff check that had interest calculated for three days or five days or whatever it was still didn't clear. Those types of things you have to jump on as well, right? We caught a bank sitting on a payoff once. It had been overnighted. Client you know, ran the FedEx tracking number. They had signed for it. Didn't cash the payoff check for another three days because you know most agents, they'll pad it three to five days of per diem. Because you've got to count on the shipment. And if you dispersed on a Friday and you got to factor in Saturday, Sunday, doesn't get there till Monday, maybe cash it on Tuesdays. The, the lender was just sitting there milking the interest until it ran out. It doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. Yeah. And it, and it costs agents money. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. Well, you mentioned so positive pay and the automated reconciliation pieces were kind of born from an absence of what title and settlement production softwares do. And that's very true. They focus on more of the production and the intention aspects of it. And then this validation. But I think people might not be as familiar with some of the other services you've layered on top of that, that title settlement softwares tend to not do at all or not do well, including handling achievements, Yep. looking at post-dated checks, like states where good funds need to be on deposit for a certain number of days text messages or emails when a wire comes in or goes out of your account. So some of those things that you layer on top are very interesting and are not as well known. So I'd like for you to talk to us about those, if you would. Since 2007, a lot of our growth and evolution has really been born from our clients. As we've evolved and spread across the country and in certain states, and you touched on the good funds guidelines in various states. We started here in Virginia, where I'm located, but In Ohio, where good funds are a thing, they've got laws in place. I think Idaho might be another one. The rules are different. So as we've kind of gone across the country and picked up new clients here, there, and wherever, can you do this? Can you do that? So we've really evolved as a result of a lot of client interaction and feedback. So with some of the different platforms that you mentioned, with IDW, that stands for Intraday Wire Reporting. So if the bank has the ability to provide virtually real time. Like if a wire comes in, hits an escrow account and some banks will provide an automated email or an SFTP communication like this wire, just whether it went out or came in, there's an automated notification. Like our bank provided an email. We're already connected to the production environment to RamQuest. If we see that notification from the bank, we can take that, we can ingest that in real time, same day. So that morning report that I was talking about You get tomorrow morning and it's a snapshot into yesterday. IDW is same day. So if it's a Friday afternoon and it's a month end and you've got a flurry of wires going out and human error, somebody accidentally double sent a wire, it went out for the wrong amount. Do you want to wait until Monday to correct that? It's three o'clock on a Friday and I got other things. It's almost happy hour, but I'd rather fix it today and go home over the weekend knowing that everything is tip top. With IDW, you know, those notifications come in by email. We also do offer, as you mentioned, an SMS, a text feature. So if you've got a closer who's going out to do a remote closing and they get the text message, oh, the Schuster wire just came in. Great. All right. Sit down with my shoes. We're good to go. So that's IDW. Some of the auditing features that we offer, and this was a really great one. Back right when COVID was, you know, in its full bear a month, two months in, it was April or May of last year. So 16, 17 months back, I reached out to a couple of the national underwriters, had some conversations around how they were pivoting around the audit process. And it certainly was presenting a lot of challenges. They had to figure it out on the fly. And it really got increasingly difficult where they used to send an auditor in-house on-site for a day, maybe two. They'd get everything they would need. They'd take it home. They'd clean everything up. Now it was back and forth emails. Okay, you sent me this. I need that. And then the agent, again, their hair's on fire. They're dealing with a thousand other things. An audit to them is not as important as it is to the auditor. So it was taking what could take a day or two and extrapolating it over months. We reached out to, like I said, a couple of the underwriters, the audit teams within those underwriters. And we developed, we've always had the ability to, the agent can grant their underwriter access to Rhino. And that's at the user, the client, the agent's discretion. There are several different levels of access they can give their underwriter. 
The underwriters love it because it makes their lives a lot easier and it makes that agency auditor relationship that much more synergistic, I'd say. Mm -hmm. They're kind of more in lockstep knowing what's going on between the two. But with the audit and the ability to grant that underwriter access, we created what we call a one-time package that if you granted your underwriter access to your Rhino, they can go in and create a reconciliation package per their requirements. And there are 13 or 14 different sub-reports that comprise a monthly reconciliation. They can go in there, pull that down, extract it, not even bother you. Right. And the feedback that we got, and even before we developed that, the feedback that we got in April or May, shortly after COVID started, for those groups that were not on Rhino, yeah, it was taking months. And for those that were, their words, not mine, it was like a godsend. They're like, oh my gosh, thank you, thank you, thank you. The fact that we can expedite the audit process and check the box and move on to the next audit. And it's allowed a lot of people to pivot, you know, that paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the audit process, IDW, you mentioned achievement. Yeah, we get requests all the time for something like that. We always just say, call Rhino, because you guys have already done it. And so what's great is there's sort of two obvious areas of concern with regard to those funds. One, while they're dormant in your account before you can sheet them. And also, especially if you're a multi-state agent, keeping track of all the different requirements, Yeah, which hoops to jump through and how to hold your mouth for this state versus the one next door. So with that set up, tell us what yours does. The concept of the achievement platform kind of goes back to my family's former title company. And we have befriended some of the folks here in Virginia with the Bureau of Insurance. Got on a first name basis, good terms with them. And they invited us to come up to Richmond, our state capital, and meet with the Department of Treasury. So this goes back probably three plus years ago. It was Stephanie Davis, our director of operations, my father, Dick, Robert Pleasance, who's one of our EVPs and me. The four of us drove up to Richmond for the day at the behest of the title director of the Bureau of Insurance. He facilitated an introduction with the Department of Treasury. So there were three of them, four of us. And it was funny, we walk into the Department of Treasury and when you're doing donations and charity raises, there's that thermometer of how much money you've raised. You know what I'm talking about? Right when you walk in the Department of Treasury door, there's a thermometer of how many hundreds of millions of dollars in unclaimed property they've collected that year. Hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. And they don't deal with just real estate. Unbeknownst to me, there's you think about life insurance policy. Somebody passes away and they've bequeathed those funds to a family member who didn't even know about it. They can't find them. Utility deposits. All that's oh yeah. So like you can log in and go find, oh yeah, you know, Dominion Virginia Power refunded you five bucks. You want to go after it. Yeah. Gift cards. Gift cards are escheatable items, you know, dormant funds, unclaimed property. Long story short, we've developed the achievement platform. I think we're on our third iteration. It, it originally started as an internal reporting tool for the user, for the agent, for all. 50 states and the District of Columbia. So our team went out and researched every single state. Which was no small feat. Yeah. Like how long they've got to be dormant, when you have to report. You have an achievement nerd squad. That's awesome. And then we actually just added Canada and their territories. If you do have somebody who meets a certain state threshold, Virginia is five years as an example. And so you've got dormant funds for five years. You've got to send that due diligence letter to that customer. Hey, Ms. Schuster, we've got this $3,000. Would you please cash it? You have to show the paper trail. So within Rhino's Escheat tool, there is the ability to generate these due diligence letters that you would then just mail 
to the customer and say, please cash. And if you've shown proper due diligence from there, you can submit and file the report to the state. So where we are now is I think we're this close. You can generate the NAPA report. And I was actually talking with some of my team earlier today. I think the final step is the ability for the agent. We don't have it yet to submit those NAPA files to each of the states. We're not going to move the money on the client's behalf. So if you've got 5000 bucks that belongs to Ms. Schuster, you still have to move the money. But the next iteration is the ability to submit those files. Just talking about audits and underwriter requirements and feedback that we've got, not only from our agents, but also the underwriters, that comes up more than anything. Oh, yes. I've got all this old money. I can't get people to cash these checks. What do I do now? It's those little $2 checks, those $10 checks, those recording refunds, all of that stuff. But you can spend $500 trying to dispense. Countless hours. You're going to spend hundreds of dollars in personnel hours, let alone postage, all of that. But one of the other tools within Rhino that we've had for a very long time that was really born as a result of the IRS incident that I previously spoke of, we have this tool called TRAX, T-R-A-X, where the agent can set up very time-specific alerts around transaction type, mortgage payoffs, real estate taxes, insurance, remittances to underwriters. And the agent can set their tolerance, their comfort level, their threshold. So if a payoff, then two days, maybe three days. Payoffs are very time-sensitive. There's per diem interest. I don't want to go more than two or three days. If that payoff's not been cashed, Rhino's going to tell me. Maybe an insurance check, 10 to 15 days. Real estate taxes, 10 to 15 days. Remittances to underwriters. Everybody's got different filing requirements when they have to remit to their underwriters, those kinds of things. But the agent has the ability to flag. And the reason I bring this up, kind of the tail wagging the dog, if an agent is truly looking after their transactions proactively and staying on top of them before they get six months, a year, three years, five years, no one should really ever have to escheat funds at all if they're looking after their funds proactively. That's true. Well, and the definition of good escrow hygiene to the point of this entire conversation so far has just evolved so much. And if you're still employing good escrow hygiene from the early 90s, you're just missing the boat. And I think, you know, early on, my guess is that you guys probably had to educate, push product. And I've heard from many a small title agent that said, we were the first in my bank's jurisdiction to use positive pay. And it was only because we pushed them to get there. So I'm guessing you had a lot of that work to do early on. But is it 100% banks now that can do positive pay? Is it 80? Where are we at with that? Oh, that's a great question. I can't speak definitively because there are groups that they're not familiar with positive pay. Their bank doesn't offer it. They don't want to use it because it's an added labor and cost. All the various reasons. But obviously, if their bank doesn't offer it, that's a roadblock for that specific subset of what Rhino offers. That's not a deal breaker. That doesn't mean you can't use Rhino. It's just one. We've talked about a a bunch of different tools and features that Rhino offers. That's just one piece. We still have the ability, as I mentioned earlier, like even if you don't use positive pay, it's not offered. We can still report on it. We can tell you a check clearing that doesn't square up. Somebody may be defrauding you or Maybe you had voided it in RamQuest six months ago and because somebody called claiming they never got it. Miraculously, six, seven months later, they find it. They try and cash it. The bank's not paying attention. You forgot about it because I forgot what I did yesterday, let alone six months ago. But Rhino is always watching. 
Rhino is always looking. We're going to see check 125 for 500 bucks is now trying to clear the account. But back in RamQuest, you avoided it six months ago. They don't match up. Rhino's going to tell you about it. So you can take proactive action even six months later. And that actually happened to us. Yeah. We had a lady after a refinance calling, claiming she never got it. It was a cash out refinance, three, four, five thousand bucks. Mailed her the check, put a void stop payment on it. Seven or eight months later, it was beyond the six month window. Our bank only honored stop pay requests for six months. Uh huh. Most banks do. I feel like that's a good pro tip, by the way. I feel like maybe not a lot of people know that. Oh, yeah. Check with your bank to see how long they honor stop pay requests. So if you go in, log into your online banking, issue a stop pay, are they going to honor it in perpetuity? I don't think so. Most don't. It's usually six months, maybe 12. Ours was six. This lady miraculously from the grave found the check she claimed she never got. She had cashed the replacement check when we mailed it to her. So she tried to double dip us. The bank did not pick it up, even though we were using positive pay with them. The bank did not pick it up. Rhino did. So we were able to immediately notify the bank, return funds, stop pay, call the customer. She was a little bit miffed at us. I think she knew we were onto her little ploy or little scheme. But it saved us having to fight with our bank over three, four or five thousand bucks. Right. Well, and I imagine it's a little bit like e-recording in that. No, we're not at 100% of counties that accept it. Yeah. But if you asked a year ago and received an answer of no, it's probably good to ask again because they're also continuing to evolve and we have new ones coming online with that ability. So no one point back in time doesn't mean no forever from, from those providers, I'm guessing. We're definitely building critical mass. But you asked about educating banks and the consumer, and that's really when Rhino was first getting started. That's where we spent a lot of time was industry education. And I still, to this day, spend a lot of time around that, kind of from a grassroots effort, believe it or not. Back before COVID, when we were traveling, I was on the road all the time going to various state land title and underwriter seminars, conferences, when they would allow me the opportunity to get up and speak. It wasn't necessarily a commercial on Rhino. It was more the critical importance of escrow and you know, I'm not a cyber expert. I know enough to be dangerous, but they kind of go hand in hand, escrow and cybersecurity and what an agent or a law firm needs to be doing in there. And I'll use the term best practices, what they need to be doing day to day. And best practices from an Alta standpoint is a seven pillar checklist. But what are you doing as an organization every day, even if a bank is not auditing you or asking you for your attestation or certification report? you still need to adhere to some form of best practice. You need to live and breathe it because considering the fiduciary responsibilities you're entrusted with, not only people's money, but their data and their documents and any breach of any one of those items, are you prepared for that? Right. And that's really the essence of what best practices stands on. So don't just think of it as a destination to check a box and like I've fulfilled that obligation, I can move on. It is a way of life. It's something you have to do every single day. You wake up, you have to embrace it. Well, and speaking of Alta's best practices, both essentially Rhino services and e-recording are requirements. They are part of best practices if they are available in the area that the agent is operating. And I'm not sure that everyone 100% understands how important that is and why it is. And not just, oh, it's a good idea if you feel 
like you might want to. But if you are advertising yourself as best practices certified or compliant or a follower of Alta's best practices, you have to be employing those two things if they are available to you. That I'm assuming just speaks to the underpinning of how fundamental employing these those kinds of services are. I'll expound a little bit on with Alta's best practice specific to pillar two, which is the escrow policies and procedures. There is, if you read the way it's written, it stipulates allowing for electronic verification of reconciliations. And that can be interpreted a variety of different ways. My opinion on that, when you electronically verify with Rhino, we are getting the data straight from the source. We're getting the information straight from the bank. There is no hamster in the wheel manually pulling things down. It's automated technology. It's software. And I say this because you can't, not to shock and awe people, but you cannot cook the books. And speaking in anecdotes, stories, I think everybody's rather familiar with what happened down in Georgia many years ago with Lancaster title, Matt Hardwick. He cooked the books. He cooked the bank statements. He doctored the bank statements. And it was only when an auditor looked at a bank statement in a PDF format, I think they had taken a zero and made it look like an eight. Mm-hmm. Just slightly one little, one little number was doctored. And that brought the whole house of cards down. Those reconciliations were not electronically verified. Right. $25, $30 million, $40 million. The reality of it all is really understanding. And it's not just picking on them, but as a business owner, as an operations director, obviously as an auditor, as an underwriter, really understanding and knowing what's going on within your organization every day, even if you're doing it from 30,000 foot high level, you don't have to get in the weeds every single day to know what's going on. I will tell you one more story because that's all I got. I got stories for days. Literally the very first client we ever had, other than ourselves as the beta test, the very first client we ever had back in 2007 was a law firm. Very well-revered, well-respected gentleman is still in business to this day. He'd been around, you know, at that point, 25, 30 years, you know, so now he's another 15 years tacked on or so. Literally day number one that we go to install Rhino into his environment, connect to his bank, connect to his software and turn the reports on, his main escrow account was flagged for a discrepancy. It didn't balance. You know, for Rhino to work, we have to be able to connect to the most recent balanced month-end reconciliation, you know, whether it's last month or, I mean, we've brought on groups that haven't been reconciled for six months. I, years ago, I brought on a law firm that hadn't been reconciled for two and a half years. But you have to have a balanced month closed out to start from, right? Yeah. But if you're a brand new agency just getting started, those are easy. I mean, you got a brand new account. It's zero balance. You might have put a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks in there. But so in this case, once we got through it all and turned the reports on, he was flagged that he had a shortage in his escrow account of $153,000. Literally first client, first day on the job, 2007. His most trusted, beloved senior paralegal who had been with him 10, 15 years had been siphoning funds, 500 here, 1,000 there. And she'd been doing it for several months. Small enough amounts to kind of fly under the radar. She wasn't the old go big or go home, take it all at one time. That would throw the whole thing off. Right. Yep. So, you know, electronic verification, we communicated between his bank and his software and caught it right away. And obviously, by that point, the damage had been done. And he had, uh, I don't know if he went and got a business line of credit or dipped into his own pocketbook to replenish that shortage. And then he had to go after her and 
she didn't show up to work that Friday. She didn't show up to work that following Monday. He sent the sheriff by her apartment. And I don't know what came of the remainder of that story, but it's an old tale. It is. Well, you've opened the door generally to the topic of fraud. And in that case, you're talking about something that agents have had to be ever vigilant on, which is internal fraud. Yep. But then external sources of fraud have certainly been on the increase. They're changing. And, and I know that agents start to feel a little bit beleaguered in trying to run that race and hold their own grounds. Yeah, that's a great comment, Mary. And as I mentioned, I've done a lot of speaking and I try to be creative and make it engaging and fun. And everybody is just like, I'm tired of talking about cyber fraud and escrow fraud. It's like, I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it. But, you know, sadly, on the flip side of that comment, it's not going anywhere and it's getting faster and it's getting worse. And we cannot bury our head in the sand like an ostrich and pretend it's like it's going to go away. It's not going to go away. How can we fight back? We had a client probably six, seven years ago. And it's the typical business email compromise. Everybody talks about that nowadays. You know, Internet Crime Complaint Center, they put out an annual report around financial losses, billions and billions of dollars each and every year. And that number keeps ticking up and up and up and up. And I want to say 2020, I believe it was $3.5 billion in financial losses. Half of that, two years in a row, half of whatever the number was, 3.5 that year, about 1.7, 1.8 billion of that was related to business email compromise. Second, which was, I don't remember the exact number, I'm making it up, it's probably 400 or 600 million, romance fraud. You know what catfishing is? Mm. Mm -hmm. The story goes around this business email compromise from, it was before I came over to Rhino full-time, so it was more than six and a half years ago. I wanna say probably seven, maybe eight years ago, we had a client that was a victim of a very sophisticated cyber breach. One of the employees within the organization clicked on a link, downloaded a very sophisticated malware into their operation, into their production environment, the Zeus bot malware, Zeus, like the Greek god. And it got in and started creating fraudulent, fictitious closings that was going to be hosting checks in their software that were going to be printed remotely. The agent was using positive pay. So for those that are using positive pay and are familiar They were going to be sending the check report files to their bank to include these checks. The bank would not have known. Right. They would not have been flagged as a positive pay exception. It was only the next morning when the president of the agency got her daily Rhino morning report. First thing the following morning, she saw a file balance back in her software that was short $340,000. One day from yesterday to today. So this goes back to the comment, can you afford to go a week? Can you afford to go a month? And I'm going to answer that question for you right here. No, you cannot. Because from yesterday to today, file shortage of $340,000, was she alerted? So she went back into her software because we had the file number. She pulled up the file. No buyers, no sellers, no property address, no incoming funds, obviously, since the file shortage. And it was only these checks on the outgoing ledger that were posted that were going to get printed. That was the warning shot with the Zeus bot malware. Had those funds cleared, the malware was going to come back and do the same for the remainder, the entirety of held funds in the escrow account, which was two and a half, three million dollars. Yeah. They would have been wiped out. They would have been insolvent. Those funds that were still in escrow. What were they there for? Mortgage payoffs to clear in the next day or two, seller proceeds, 
underwriter remittances, clerk checks for recordings, all of those funds would have started bouncing in the next few days or week. So not only would they have been out three plus million dollars, they would have had a PR nightmare beyond recognition. You know, and it's funny that you mentioned that because we occasionally get fussed at by an escrow officer whose company has made a configuration decision to be able to only print checks when you're in balance and only print checks on a file that has a deposit. And I understand that they're saying, we're going fast. We need the flexibility to do those things. But that is a perfect example of why you have to have belt and suspenders. You have to have your configuration and privacy settings and all that set up right. And then you have to also proactively monitor and watch because it's too easy For, you know, again, if we were businesses that had small or average daily balances, we wouldn't be such a target. But it's because we run these big transactions with big dollar volumes and we have big average daily balances in our trust account that make us the target, right? Mary, you made a great comment there, a small agency. And I would somewhat challenge what is considered a small agency. And and that this isn't to put you on the spot. It's more to get people thinking Oh, I'm small. I do 15, 20, maybe 30 closings a month. To some people, that's small. But when you think, okay, what is the average purchase price? What is the average refinance? You know, How much money then, when you take that number of closings multiplied by the average loan or purchase price, $5, $10 million that come in and out of your escrow account every single month multiplied over the course of a year. So we're talking $100 million and you're a small agency. Right. You've touched $100 million. You have been entrusted with nine figures. You're no longer a small corporation. You're a small financial institution. That is such a good point. And when you look at the banking regulations and what they're beholden to and the requirements of clean desk policies and secure emails, and know your customer. My mom's a retired banker of 30 years. They were doing it long ago. It's time to catch up. We've got to start doing this. We have to start doing this. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's exactly right. Not only when you look at the money that's moved through their business, but also, I mean, Dodd-Frank really kind of codified that, right? And said, by the way, welcome to being a financial institution. And it kind of blew Thailand settlement agents heads apart for a little while. And then when you start to look at it exactly like that and understand it's, oh yeah, we've got to step up our game. It's a wonder we were excused from that for as long as we were. 100%. Yeah. Well, you mentioned malware and that makes everybody think of ransomware. And there was an event in the industry recently that I heard a rumor that you can maybe confirm or deny that you all had some of your customers who were impact in that hosting provider ransomware situation. And I don't think people would first think about Rhino being a value in that sort of scenario. But I heard that you had a lot of data that you were able to feed back to agents who had nothing because, you know, when this happened, everybody thought about, okay, the deals that were coming up in the future that these agents lost connection with. And certainly they didn't really want to take any new orders, but they had deals in flight that were, you know, they had refis in the rescission period. They had things that were partially funded. And so they were absent that data too. And I heard you guys sort of came to the rescue on that, but it's just a rumor. So tell me if that's true or not and what happened. Thank you, Mary. Yeah. First of all, before we get into that, what a terrible situation. And really 
really sad. I mean, like those were some good people that got impacted by it all. It also makes people realize that it can truly happen to anyone of any shape or size. We're not exempt from this. And I know I've been a little bit doom and gloom and, you know, fear and brimstone here, but I think we truly have to open our eyes to if it can happen to, to that group and their clients, it can happen to a lot of other people. The real world keeps handing us these examples. We, we have to acknowledge them, right? So in the situations with some of the impacted clients that we had, we don't have the entire data set. Obviously, the production side, the front end side, the title forms, the search notes, all of that stuff, they're not able to get that back is, is lost. I've had conversations with many of our clients that were on that system. Some of them are like, Matt, I have no tears left. I've cried every night for the last two weeks. I can't cry anymore. Like I literally have no more tears. And that truly is heartbreaking. And to think of an agency that might have been around 10, 15, 25 years and the abundance of back title, all those search notes that they've had, will they ever get their hands back on that? Because that's where a lot of the value in an agency exists. Yeah, it's a business asset. It's oftentimes the business asset. 100%. And everything else is a service layer on top of that. Yep, absolutely agree with that comment. Obviously, with what Rhino does and how we're looking at the financial side, the escrow account side of dispersed funds, monies on deposit, monies in transit. So to your comment with maybe it was a refinance and we're in that holding period, in that that three-day rescission, and we're waiting to cut those funds, we were able to help them rebuild their escrow ledgers. We saw these open files, these funds sitting there, these pending disbursements, these checks that you had cut. So they were able to at least rebuild a portion of the back end. It wasn't the full data set. It was a fair bit. It didn't put Humpty Dumpty entirely back together again, but they were able to at least with what open disbursements, open files they had, they were able to not lose a step there. I don't want to use the word favorite, but the one story that nearly brought me to tears. An old friend of my father and mine, he was impacted and he called us about a week and a half after the incident to go ahead and engage us to help rebuild his system and import what data we had back into his production environment. And he's like, Matt, I would be out of business without you guys. And and I pressed him a little bit on this. I was like, well, what, what do you mean? He's like, we had our state annual audit last week during all of this. And I had access to nothing. I couldn't get my files. I couldn't get my escrow ledgers. But because I had access to Rhino and the auditor could pull my uploaded bank statements that were in Rhino and could pull the reconciliation reports out of Rhino, he's like, Matt, I still passed my audit with flying colors. I'm still in business only because of you. What do you say to that? Wow. You say, wow. I mean, that's all you can say. And so did you guys realize when you when you first heard the news that you had a data set that could be critical to these people? Or did it take somebody reaching out to you first and saying, hey, do you have anything I can grab? How'd that go? Yeah. So I first saw, I think it occurred on a Friday afternoon. I first caught wind of it that following Saturday, like the very next day, I was just tooling around on LinkedIn and I saw a post from an old industry friend of ours, and he's like, but up, but up, but up. And I was like, oh my God. So I took a screenshot of it, sent it over to our director of product and security. And then the very next day, Sunday, 
our president, Mary Gomez, she texted me and our director of product and our director of operations. And there were three or four of us on the thread and we're like, hey, let's start getting the ducks in a row. So that Sunday, our director of operations started pulling a report of all the clients that were on that system to get our arms around how many we anticipate being impacted so that come Monday morning, I think, I don't know if it was Monday afternoon or first thing Tuesday morning, our director of marketing sent out a, a blast email to those groups. It's like, here's a step-by-step of how we can go ahead and help you rebuild. Obviously, you know, they need to set up a new instance of whatever production environment they're on, whether it's RamQuest or another group. So you need to get a new instance, a new shell stood up into which we can help, you know, put that data back in. So like, for example, I think I want to say it was that Tuesday, we talked with Brooks and Ben from your team. I think it was Tuesday, like to say, hey, how can we help? What can we do? Thankfully, we didn't have a lot of groups on your system hosted by that group. Yeah, but to your point, the impacted people, even though they were sort of in the same hosting environment, they were using all manner of different Thailand production software. Yeah. So you had to create a path to put the data back to four or five different production softwares, right? We reached out to all of them. We spoke with their corporate directly and like, hey, how can we take a CSV file, some kind of export, send it over to you guys to try and re-import it into this new instance of that environment to at least have something. I mean, was it even 50% of the lost data? Probably not, but at least it was the beginning of the puzzle. Yes. And it was some of the most timely data, right? Yeah. When you build a puzzle, you start with the border and then you got to fill in everything else. We were the border. Yeah. Well, and for somebody who had lost everything, getting anything back, especially that most timely data, and it's the money data, critical, critical importance. I love that you guys were there for everybody. And and that is sort of the overriding story, I think, of that whole situation is how everybody pulled together to help those impacted people with each piece of, everybody brought their own piece of the puzzle and said, we're going to reconstruct as as much as we can. And, And we do have agents in business today that would have otherwise been wiped out because of that. And I think that is one of the beautiful things of our industry, even when you're in competition with somebody, whether it's another vendor, another underwriter, there is a community, a common goal that we truly embrace. And I think that's what's really special about this industry. We put egos aside most times, 99% of the time, to see the greater good. Yeah. Indeed. Well, and we have, as you know, a shortage of employees that aren't half dead right now from exhaustion. And we have agencies trying to hire along with every other industry is trying to hire. Folks are having a hard time. And I think that sense of unity and togetherness that this industry shares is truly unique. And I think it's an important part of a recruiting story, but it can be one that's hard to tell. I know you're passionate about this industry. And you said you wanted to talk about industry involvement, and maybe I would extend that to trying to describe that to people as you're trying to hire them. And, and I'm just going to give you the floor and let you talk on those subjects as you wish. Thank you. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, when you were asking about kind of where Rhino came from. And I shared the story about Abagnale and the Alta Conference when my father first heard that. And being involved, getting involved, being a champion, being an advocate, this industry doesn't survive without the support and the initiatives and the involvement of so many great people on a variety of levels. So for anybody looking, thinking of joining this crazy little world that we live in, this little, I call it a mafia, because <laughs> I've been in for 19 years and I can't get out. But I think for anybody thinking of getting involved for a variety of reasons, one, 
being a champion, but two, the knowledge and experience and the just the collaboration that you can get. And maybe a national level is too daunting and too overwhelming. Like, oh my gosh, why am I worried about what's going on in Texas when I live here in Virginia? Well, okay, well, start in Virginia, start in your own backyard, start grassroots, get involved in your local or your state land title associations, and at least hear what's going on within your region, within your state. And owners, that's not just for title people. Get the escrow people there, too, for that education. Any one of them can click on that email. Any one of them can take a phone call and accidentally wire the money to the wrong place. You really, truly have to educate everyone from the top down and the bottom up. They all have to be involved in the process. And then beyond that, I know a few years ago, you know, when wire fraud was really coming on strong and and really hitting the industry. Alta brought forth the Wire Fraud Coalition, I think is what it was called. They reached out to me to have some conversations and they featured, I think, four different cities, Virginia Beach being one of them, to try and reach out to the local news media. Because again, it's not just this microcosm, the people within our industry that are collaborating and communicating. It's communicating to our business affiliates, the realtors, the loan officers, most importantly, the consumer, the buyers and the sellers. Because when you think about us, Mary, you and I live and breathe it every day. It's what we know. It's what we're good at. The average life cycle of home ownership is what, five, seven years, I believe, unless the numbers have changed, five to seven years. So These people are only aware of what's going on once every five to seven years. Right. The landscape has changed in the last five to seven years. A few times. Yeah. I think a lot of it is the grassroots initiative of if you're a local title agent, maybe consider getting involved in your local realtors association as an affiliate. I know we did. I was involved on several committees with the local realtors association back from my title days. And don't just send your sales and marketing people. Have your production folks go. Yeah, I agree with that too. Yeah. Yeah, very good point. Okay, I have one final question that I think is pressing on a lot of people's minds. Uh Uh-oh. How did it come to get to be called Rhino? (laughs) Why did I know that was going to be the closing question? Because, you know, I love your rhinos. The thundering herd. Well, like I said, I've been in this for 19 or 20 years. I never thought I'd be here this long. Mary, you got to have thick skin in this industry. It's not for the faint of heart. I mean, so for those people thinking about getting in here, yeah, don't be ashamed. It's not for everybody. It's hard. As I said, after the market crash in 07, when it got down to two people, I'm not BSing you. I was putting in 70, 80 hours a week at month end. I was coming in at 5, 30, 6 o'clock in the morning to make sure that the files were all in order to get everything straight. And I was working till 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night. I'm putting in 15-hour days at month end sometimes. It is hard work, but it's honest work and it's good work. So why rhino? Rhinos are tough. They've got thick skin. They don't back off. And then the horn is their defense mechanism. It's protection. So it's kind of twofold. Thick skin. Got to have thick skin in this industry. Rhinos have thick skin. And at the end of the day, we at Rhino, we're here to help you protect those funds with which you have a fiduciary responsibility. Now, why did it get misspelled? (laughs) R-Y-N-O-H. I mean, we've gotten it 20 different ways. (laughs) We tried to get the domain for R-H-I-N-O. I think so many different groups long beat us to the punch. Sure. So we tried to play with the letters, sort them back and forth, and somehow, some way, R-Y-N-O-H. That's what we've been stuck with now for 14 plus years. Well, all of us in the industry love it for one reason or another, but I do get asked that question a lot of, where did the rhino come from? Yeah. 
So I'm glad that you could clear that up for everybody today. And I will just say on behalf of the industry, thank you for, and Dick, we all love him as well. Not just being a victim when you, or a potential victim when you first heard about the problem, but going and, and solving for it and just sitting out there being ever vigilant, helping us keep our commitments every day, helping keep us safe, helping make our work make a lot more sense. It's a real service you guys do. And on behalf of everyone, we really appreciate your doing it. Thank you very much. I appreciate hearing that. Thanks, Matt. I really enjoyed learning all the things. And thanks for helping agents stay safe. Until next time, everybody, remember, not only does being a rhino mean having a tough skin and a defensive horn, which is a really good look, especially for a closer, but also whenever you see a picture of a rhino, they always seem to have at least a slight smile, don't they? Maybe it's because they're tough. Maybe it's because they're smart. Maybe it's simply a detached bemusement at it all. Whatever the reason, be a rhino. Keep your tough skin, keep your defensive horn, and keep that wry smile. Because what you do really matters.